crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem crowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for me.
Well, take your copy of uh, God's Word, please, and uh, open it again to the sixth chapter of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter six, and we'll be there in just a moment. Guys, if we can get the screen on back there. They fell asleep, I think, in the sound room. We appreciate the good job they do. You know, if you're going to um, bake a cake, you don't start with the icing. Did you know that? Uh, If you start with the icing and mix it together with the cake ingredients, you're going to have a mess. That's not how it works. There's a logical order of steps that you must take in order to have a delicious, edible, beautiful cake. And so you don't apply the icing. That comes last. You begin with flour and eggs and butter and sugar and you begin to mix that together and get it all right and then put it in the oven and then bake it. And there's a progression that leads to the finished product. Otherwise, your cake will not work. As we look at this prayer that the Lord is teaching us, uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer, we see there's a progression, there's an order to it. If we want our prayer lives to work like they're supposed to work, we need to pay attention to the pattern, to the order, to the logical steps, to the recipe, if you like, when it comes to this model prayer, this pattern prayer uh, that the Lord gave us. So we're going to pray it again together today. Uh, If you need the words, they're on the screen in front of you. If you're still memorizing it and uh, still learning it. Uh, But let's pray it together and then we'll talk more about what I'll try to show you what I'm talking about. Uh, as we study together. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer again today out loud. Would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I hope you found your place there in Matthew chapter 6. If not, go ahead and find it there. And today I want to talk to you about three keys to victorious prayer. Three keys to victorious prayer. I believe that you and I really want to have victory in our prayer lives. When we pray, we really want to see that the Lord is listening to us and hearing us and answering us, and uh, He's acting on our behalf. We want to have victory. So these three keys that I'm going to give you today are what we must incorporate into our prayer life. You may be frustrated with your prayer life. If you were honest, you might have to say, well, I pray, and I pray, and I pray. I prayed about certain things. It seems that nothing happens. And uh, I have no satisfaction, really, when it comes to my prayer life. And so I want to suggest today that you incorporate these three keys that I'm going to give you today into your very next prayer. Are you ready for the three keys I want to give you today when it comes to victorious prayer? To have victory in your prayer life. Key number one. Are you ready? Pray with an eye toward His name. Pray with an eye toward His name. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 says... In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, we spent a whole message last time talking about those phrases, talking about our Father in heaven, talking about hallowed be your name. But I have to bring it back into today because we're talking about three keys to victorious prayer. 
And this is one of those keys. We have to pray with an eye toward God's name. In fact, this is the very first request that the Lord gives in this model prayer. In fact, all the other requests that are going to come, they flow from it and they flow back to it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then all the other requests are going to flow out of that hallowed be your name and they're going to flow back into hallowed be your name. You remember we're talking about a progression, a recipe, if you will, the steps to take. And notice that when it comes to our prayer lives, we don't begin with ourselves. We begin with God. And the first three requests in the Lord's Prayer all are concerned with God. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we ever talk about our stuff, we're talking about the Lord. And everything that we request is to bring honor and glory to His name. Hallowed be your name. That means everything we're praying would honor Him and glorify Him. That His name will be made great in everything. And so when you pray, always have an eye toward His name, His honor, His glory. And that works even in your personal requests. So when you bring your personal requests, and we'll talk about those in a future study, when you bring your personal requests, think about His name. In other words, how could His name be honored and glorified and magnified in answering these personal requests that I have? And that will help shape your prayer. It will help mold your prayer. It might even change your prayer. When you really begin to say, how can God's name be made great if He were to answer these personal requests that I'm bringing to Him? You see, you're much more likely to see answers quickly to your prayers and in the way that you pray if you will bring those prayer requests in line with bringing glory to His name. Psalm 37, 4 says it this way, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. So the first key to victorious prayer. The first key to have victory in your prayer life is to pray with an eye toward His name, His honor, His glory. Concern yourself with Him first and not yourself. Well, we're not going to spend a lot of time to talk a lot about that last time. Let me give you the second key. Are you ready for it? Pray with an eye toward His kingdom. Pray with an eye toward His kingdom. This brings us to the second request that he gives us here in Matthew chapter 6, this time verse 10, where it simply says, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Just three words. But there's just so much in those three words. We could have done the whole message on just your kingdom come. Those three words help us in so many ways. You know, one of the challenges we have living in such a beautiful rural setting like we do is that sometimes our world can become very, very small. In many ways, we're shielded and shaded, uh, even somewhat a little bit behind the times, in a good way, mind you. Uh, when I'm traveling and people ask where I'm from, I often tell them, I'm about 50 miles east of Charlotte. I'm out in the country where there are more cows and chickens than people. That's how I tell them where I'm from and what church do you pastor. That's where I pastor. I'm out there. And it's easy to forget because we're surrounded by such beauty and, and we're here in this rural setting. It's easy to forget that there's a great big old world out there 
filled with millions of people. And for that matter, no matter where you live, you might live in downtown Charlotte. But the truth of the matter is your world can still become very, very small, even in the midst of a large city. Why? If we only focus on our family and our circle and our sphere, then our world becomes very small. But these three words, your kingdom come, it broadens our horizon. It helps us to open our eyes and realize that there is more than just our little sphere. There is a coming kingdom. There is a world kingdom. Now, we know that Jesus is king already. He's king already. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. But he's not yet taken full possession and is ruling right at the moment upon the throne of David. He's already king, but he's not yet ruling on the throne of David. You see, this prayer request, your kingdom come, has a lot in it. I'm going to give you three main things that it has in it. But at the very basic level, when we pray your kingdom come, what we're praying for is this. We're praying that Jesus would return. That's what we're praying. Your kingdom come. We're praying that Jesus would return. Now, you know He's already gone up into heaven. He ascended back into heaven after resurrecting and spending time upon the earth. And the angel said, this same Jesus you saw going in heaven, so so come in like manner. And we know that the very next thing upon the prophetic timetable is the rapture of the church, then the tribulation time, and then the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ where He will establish His kingdom here upon the earth. One day Jesus is coming again and He will rule and He'll set all things right and all things will be perfect in His rule when He's ruling. And we're praying that that would happen when we pray... Your kingdom come. Now remember, we can't usher in His kingdom. We don't bring about the kingdom of God by moral reform or by political action or by social justice. This kingdom is not ushered in by us. It's not made by us. It comes from God. It's not of this world. Uh, Jesus said in John 18.36 these words. John 18.36 Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. That's why he didn't didn't lead an army in his first advent. No, because his kingdom was future. It's coming. Now, even though we know that the kingdom is coming and it has a future aspect to it, we do have elements of it right now. When we pray, thy kingdom come or your kingdom come, we're also praying not only that Jesus would return, but that people would be saved. You see, the way we enter into the kingdom of God is through new birth, through salvation. Jot this reference down, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And so we become subjects of the kingdom of God when we're born again. So I have to ask you today, are you a subject in the kingdom of God? Have you been born again? If not, I pray you'll come to faith in Christ even today. And so when you pray those three words, and maybe you've never thought about it, your kingdom come, first of all, at the very basic level, you're praying this, Jesus, return again. I want to see your kingdom established. I want to see you ruling and reigning. And then secondly, you're also praying that people will be saved. People will be added to that kingdom. But then there's a third element as well. 
And that is when you pray your kingdom come, we're also praying that he would rule in us. That he would rule in us. You see, if you're going to pray your kingdom come, then what you're really praying is this, Lord, I want my kingdom to go. Your kingdom come. You see, we can't have our kingdom and his kingdom at the same time. One of the challenges, one of the problems, one of the temptations we have is we like to build our own kingdoms. And that happens when life becomes all about us. And our life centers upon us. It's about our house and our career and our goals and our treasures and our servants and our wants and all our, 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 and the like. And it's very easy to get off track and begin building your own kingdom. You're in Matthew 6, right? Drop down a few verses and let's see what it says. Verse 19. This comes after the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Keep going. Drop down to verse 24. We just prayed your kingdom come earlier in the chapter. And if, our, if His kingdom is going to come, our kingdom has got to go. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either who will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. And of course, I know what you're thinking, but we have to live. True. We have to have money to live. Absolutely. But if we're not careful, we can become so preoccupied with our kingdom that we neglect His. Keep going. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Talk about the necessities of life. Food, clothing, raiment, housing, those sorts of things. And then just one more verse. Now remember, we're praying back in the Lord's Prayer in verse 10, Your kingdom come. And then I want you to drop down and look at Matthew chapter 6. This time find the 33rd verse. And the 33rd verse says what? But seek first what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. And now watch what it says. And all these things shall be added to you. What things? the necessities of life. God knows you have need of those things. He knows we have to have those things. He says, listen, I want you to seek my kingdom first. Don't be busy building your own kingdom. You seek my kingdom and I'll take care of your needs. Remember I said there's an order. There's a progression to the Lord's Supper. He comes first. And that's not only true in our prayer life, that's true in all of life. That's true in our Christian life. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And those three opening requests of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, um, those requests, your name be hallowed, those requests are how we seek first the kingdom of God. You say, well, how, well, how does Matthew 6, 33 work? But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, it works this way. Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I've got to ask you, whose kingdom are you building today? Whose kingdom are you seeking? We're to seek His kingdom first. Now, I'm giving you three keys. I've given two of them to you. 
First of all, pray toward, with an eye toward His name. Secondly, pray with an eye toward His kingdom. And then third, pray with an eye toward His will. We're back in verse 10 again. The second part of the verse, He just says, Your kingdom come. Now He says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we're going to have victory in our prayer life, we've got to concern ourselves with the will of God. Now, in a sense, when you pray that prayer, that part of the prayer where you say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're also praying for the Lord to return. Because the only time that the Lord's will is going to be fully done on earth as it is in heaven is when He's ruling upon the earth. But His will is also done on the earth now in many ways. I love Psalm 135, verse 6. Psalm 135, verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. And so we're praying that Your will will be done, Lord. But the truth of the matter is, God has a permissive will. And in His permissive will, things He permits, things He allows, there's a lot of things that go on in our world that do not please Him. But as followers of Jesus Christ, our desire should always be to please Him. And if you want your prayer to be heard and answered, you must come to the place where you can honestly pray your will be done. In fact, can I just tell you, when you don't know what to pray, this is a good prayer to pray. Your will be done. I find myself often not knowing exactly how to pray. But I can always safely pray, your will be done. Now when we pray, your will be done, we're not praying with Bitter resignation, like, well, I know you're God and you're going to do whatever you want to do and it doesn't really matter, and so I'm just going to pray your will be done. No, 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 no. That's not how we pray it. We pray it, beloved, with trust and love. Why? Because remember who we're praying to? Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying to the Father. And the Father is good and the Father is perfectly loving and knows everything and sees everything and really does what is best for us at all times in all manner. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. I was sitting in a seminar this past week and a seminary professor was, was uh, reminding us about Romans 8, 28, which we love so much. The fact that where it says that He works all things together for good, He reminded us of something very important. That's this. God gets to define the good. He writes the definition. And in fact, the ultimate good is actually in the next verse. Because when we think about good, we think about prosperity and health and wealth and all those things that we define good. But God is the one who defines what is good. And the ultimate good is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, where it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, he's working to make us like Jesus. That is the ultimate good. And so when we pray, Thy will be done, and God's going to work all things together for good for us, Sometimes God's will will include hardship 
and pain, suffering, sometimes even death. Do we not see it illustrated in the life of our Lord Jesus? You can jot the reference down and read it later, but I'll just summarize Matthew 26, 36 through 46. You remember it's the story where the Lord Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays there and he asks the disciples to pray with him. And he says what? He says, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He's about to go to Golgotha. He's about to go to the cross. If it's possible, let this cup pass me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he prays it not once and not twice, but three times. And then he comes back and says, let us arise and be going because the betrayer is at hand. And so you think about that. He's praying and he says, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And the will of God for his son was to die on a cross for sins he did not commit. Why? Because there was an ultimate good. And that was the salvation of lost people. Our salvation. The will of God for the Lord Jesus included suffering and pain. The worst suffering ever imaginable. Unjustly. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? Because the will of God included not only His death and burial and resurrection... But because of His resurrection, we might have eternal life. In all honesty, this may be the toughest part of the prayer to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Leslie Montgomery wrote these words, We all have a Gethsemane. That is a place and time in our lives when we face sorrow on the deepest level. A place of crisis, grief, anguish, excruciating pain and loss. It's a time of separation, a tearing, or the ending of a relationship with someone or something that causes us to stop in our spiritual tracks and look more closely at who we are, our circumstances, and those around us. It brutally exposes what we honestly believe to be true in regard to God and His Word. And here's the truth, men and women. The reason it's difficult many times for us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reason it's so hard for us to pray that is because we really struggle with the fact that we really do know that God is good and perfect and wise. We really struggle in that. And we deal with doubt in our heart. Is God really good? Is He really wise? Is He really perfect? Can I really trust Him in this? Can I really say honestly, nevertheless, not my will, but Thy will be done? Because I know You're good. We think we know better. We think this way in all honesty. We go, well, God, I know what's best. And if you would just get on my program and do what I need you to do, because I know this is what's best for me. God says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. In fact, mine are so much higher. And I see the whole picture. And I see the end from the beginning. And I know every detail. I know things you don't even know or even think about. And I'm perfect and I'm wise and I'm good. And child, if you would just trust me, I really do have your best interest at mind and at heart. Remember I said earlier that all the requests 
flow from that first request, hallowed be thy name. And it flows back to that first request that his name will be glorified. Whose name are we talking about? God's name. And who is God? God is our Father. We addressed Him right away in this. Our Father in heaven. So here's what I have to understand when it comes to the will of God. The Father is going to do what brings the most glory to Him. And whatever brings the most glory to Him is what is truly best for us. Now that's easy to type. That's easy to say. But the truth of the matter is do we really believe those two sentences? The Father is going to do what brings the most glory to Him. We're okay with that one. It's the second one that we struggle with, right? And whatever brings the most glory to Him is what is truly best for us. But what if it's painful? What if it's hard? What if it brings tears? What if it brings sorrow? Well, God is still working out His glory and our good. You see, if you want real victory in your prayer life, you want to pray victoriously, you've got to pray with an eye toward His name, His kingdom, and His will. I had to do this very thing in my life this past week. I was praying about a difficult situation. And by the way, if you're wondering, just in case you're wondering, preachers do not have a special hotline to heaven. There is no red phone on my desk. I come the same way you come through the Lord Jesus. And I get as frustrated as you do, maybe even more. But in this situation, I was praying about it to come to the point where I realized there was nothing left for me to do but to trust it in His capable hands. And I had to pray, Thy will be done. Now, do I have my own will toward the situation? Yes. Do I think my plan is a good plan? Yes. Am I going to see my plan come to pass? I don't know. I don't know. It's out of my hands. It's out of my hands. But you know what? The interesting thing was, the very day that I prayed that prayer was actually the same day I wrote this sermon. A memory popped up on my Facebook page. Now, who would think the Lord would use Facebook? A memory popped up, if you're not familiar with it. In other words, it'll go back and pull something that you put on Facebook years ago. And three years ago, I put a quote on Facebook. And it was very interesting. It popped up on the very day I prayed the prayer and wrote this sermon. It was a quote from Chuck Swindoll. Now remember, I just put it in God's capable hands. Thy will be done. And here's what the quote said when I looked at the computer. Anything under God's control is never out of control. Beloved, we honestly pray, Thy will be done. It's not out of control. That's the way it may feel to you. That's the way you may struggle with it, that you cannot change it. But the truth of the matter is when you say, Your will be done, you've taken it and placed it in the capable hands under His control. And can I just tell you, there's no better place for it to be. Do you want victory in your prayer life? I know you do. Do you want satisfaction for I know you do. Do you want to know that God is listening to you? And you want to see Him acting on your behalf and see answers to your prayer? If you're going to do that, you've got to use these three keys. You've got to pray with an eye toward His name, His kingdom, and His will. 
Because God delights to answer prayers with those three things in mind. In fact, that's why He can say to us, right? In Psalm 37, 4, I quoted earlier, Delight thyself also in the Lord. This is all about Him. And He shall give you the desires of your heart. Begin with Him. Focus on Him. Let everything else in your prayer life flow from what would bring most glory and most honor to Him. Let's pray. Father, we want to know You more. We want to grow in our prayer life. We want to know that You're listening. We want to know and see You acting. And Lord, You've told us here in Your Word, the Lord Jesus has laid it out for us. We begin with You. We focus upon You. Your name, Your kingdom, Your will. And so Lord, examine our hearts today. If there's anyone here who's never received Christ as Lord and Savior, they've never been made a subject of the kingdom, I pray that this moment Your Holy Spirit would convict them and bring them to saving faith in Christ. And then, Lord, I'm sure that there are needs upon the hearts of Your people and they're battling with some things. Maybe they're frustrated today. Would You help them to come to the place in their life where they pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in this situation. Your will be done in my life. Your will be done with this need. I take it out of my hands and put it in your capable hands. I feel out of control, but I actually give control to you. So Lord, whoever that is and whatever that is, I pray right now, you would help them to do that. Right where they're seated, right where they are, Help them to relinquish control and give it to you. And honestly, truthfully, pray, Father, your will be done. Bless now and help us to be a blessing. Use this invitation according to your will for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is open this morning. If you'd like to come and pray, if you need to be saved, we'd love to help you with that. We're going to close with 302. Rejoice, the Lord is King. Your Lord and King adore. And as we sing, if you'd like to come, the altar is open. 302, let's stand and sing. Rejoice, the Lord is King. 302.